And the fear of the Lord we understand in the context of wisdom literature as the acknowledgement of awesomeness. Welcome back to Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. And welcome to episode number 50. If you can hear my words or if you're reading the transcript, please know how grateful we are that you're here. Whether you've been here from the very beginning or if this is just your first episode, whether you listen every single week or just check in from time to time, thank you for listening. We're coming to the end of year C, our first lectionary year, and we'll start again with year A when we get to Advent. I know that sounds like a long way away, but it will be here before we know it. This episode, we have Jacqueline Weintraub, Associate Professor of Hebrew Bible, and Christian Wyman, Professor of the Practice of Religion and Literature. They're discussing Psalm 66, verses 1 through 12, which is appointed for track one of the 18th Sunday after Pentecost, proper 23, in year C. Here's the text. Psalm 66, verses 1 through 12. Make a joyful noise to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Because of your great power, your enemies cringe before you. All the earth worships you. They sing praises to you. Sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds among mortals. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There we rejoiced in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let the rebellious not exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept us among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a spacious place. This is a wonderful passage about making a joyful noise unto God. There's a poet, Anna Kaminska, who says about uh, joy, that it's, it's, it's an actual duty that we have to feel joy in existence. And sometimes you get contemporary poets who resist that. Modern contemporary poets, there's a notion, the notion in modernism was light writes white. So if, if everything in your life is light, um, then you're going to end up with a blank page. You need some kind of friction there. And so joy. Is that like the hotel room painting of, of poetry? The, like, yeah, the... that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you get different tones in there in a lot of contemporary poets. One of the, one of my favorites though is, uh, is Kay Ryan, a wonderful, witty, intellectual poet who wrote something about God's grandeur in a, in a kind of underhanded way. And, and it's called blandure if it please god let less happen even out earth's rondure flatten iber blanden the grand canyon make valleys slightly higher widen fissures to arable land 
Remand your terrible glaciers and silence their calving, having, or doubling all geographical features toward the main, unlean against our hearts. Withdraw your grandeur from these parts. The effect of that is to, uh, in, in minimizing or almost mocking the, the notion that God could have grandeur. She calls it back into existence. She makes you realize the grandeur that, that is there. It's, it's too much to be born. And, and it's a poem that actually comes out of Hopkins, God's grandeur, where the, the beauty of the earth causes him to feel the presence of the Lord. Kay Ryan is very much not a believing person, but she's, she's very much in that tradition. There's one line that I just had to write down. And I, I might like frame it somewhere where she says, unlean against our hearts. Yeah. I love that because it's like that feeling, you know, the, the Hebrew text often talks about the fear of the Lord and the fear of the Lord. We understand in the context of wisdom literature as the acknowledgement of awesomeness, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the feeling that you would get from seeing a picture of the universe, right? And like how small the earth is. Right? right. Or right. just the galaxy, right? Or just seeing Earth from space. And that same sort of awesomeness, which is the same feeling that you, you get from, you know, seeing a newborn child. And it's that feeling of an overwhelming desire to remain in the present while knowing that the present is always fading away. And that's the leaning on our hearts, like the squeezing all of our, our sense of awe and amazingness and terror. Yeah. Um, at life and the world. It's so too love, much sometimes. Too much, yeah. right? And so I love that. Unlean against our hearts. The, the power of living is like feeling like something is like leaning on your heart. Yeah. I love that. Lori Niedeker has a poem. She's a poet from Wisconsin. She has a poem about um, the whole poem. Is, I'm, I'm not going to quite get it right, but it's the constant soapy, sudsy love in the laundromat. After all, ecstasy can't be constant. That's the whole poem. After all, ecstasy can't be constant. <laughs> I love that. Well, yeah. because that's also like we're, you know, you know, in our own, you know, modern experience, but it's also in ancient in ancient texts too, that, you know, we must match our sense of, you know, ecstasy and the awesome with the relentlessness of the mundane. Right. And also just like the decay of the body, right? Which is very slow. Yeah, definitely. I love what you said about the comparing the the overwhelming feeling of say, say seeing the universe, even reading about it. I read a lot of these books and and also this about, about physics and astrophysics and, and 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 constant awe, but also comparing that to the a newborn because just yesterday actually our neighbors brought home a newborn and oh, wow. And I was in the yard and and uh and in fact, it's Adam Idle. He, he, he's our neighbor. He, he also teaches at Yale Divinity School. And, and I was just overwhelmed all of a sudden. And I, would, I wasn't expecting anything, but it was exactly that. It was suddenly just existence taking you by the throat. Yeah. In, in the face of that child. And what's interesting about Psalm 66 is, you know, the third part of the poem is about how history doesn't end with divine miracles, right? Because the first part of the poem is like God's glory and name, right? Which is like basically the two sensory experiences of theophany, right? Of God's manifestation to humankind. Sight, right? That's the 
glory, right? His bodily presence, his weightiness, and his embodied manifestation in the sanctuary, and his name, which is, I mean, for anyone who recalls the, you know, the episode of the burning bush in Exodus 3, right, where God reveals his name to Moses, right? It's the auditory experience of revelation. Um, so that's the first part. And then the second part is sort of like the miracle of being released from bondage. And then the third part is how history doesn't end just with divine miracles. It's about, it's almost about like the monotony, right? Or like the, the, the relentlessness of the mundane, even in the light of miracles and awesomeness, right? And I'm, I'm remembering, you know, seeing my own newborn, right? Like it's such a miracle, what, you know, an amazing, you know, amazing, powerful feeling. And then I had to clean a dirty diaper. Oh yeah, I did more than that. Then then it's, then thou latest affliction upon our loins. That's what that, that's what <laughs> right. a little bit later. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. But yes, it's like you brought us into the net. This is verse eleven, right? You laid weights on our groins. Oh, is that the actual thing? I'm glad I'm like, here. That's good. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, I don't know if this is like an indication of you know maybe their you know loss of fertility among the Israelites are. I mean. I think this conclusion is kind of like about the dark side of salvation history, right? That foreign enemies are being used as God's instruments for Israel's constant refinement to be made better. But Israel suffered through this process, right? And yeah. so I think the two sides, right? Verse 11, verse 12, we're like the two sides of, you know, the coin of living. There's like the, you know, the, the relentlessness, the pain, the suffering, and even the monotony of living. Yeah, right? it just sure. really plods by, and then the other flip side of it is, you know, the abundance, the the wondrousness of creation. Yeah, there's that Yehuda Amakai poem where he's uh, it's called God's hand in the world, and I can't quote it, but it's God's hand in the world, like my mother's hand in the guts of a chicken. And, <laughs> and, and it, it's amazing. Yeah, and, and he goes on from that and he compares it, but so it's a you know it's. It, that's an image of caretaking. The mother is making food and everything, but of course, it's the guts of the chicken, and you know, there's all kinds of. Wait, say that line again for that poem. Not every in the the grocery store, not everything can be ecstasy. Oh, and, um, after all, ecstasy can't be constant. Right. After, after all, all ecstasy can't be constant. Yeah. Right. After all, ecstasy can't be constant. I want. I wanted to ask you, what is the? How does the Hebrew read it in verse twelve? Because uh, I've got, that was caused men to ride over our heads. He probably should have just gotten the same text. We went through fire and through water, but thou brought us to us out and onto, into a wealthy place. Is it wealthy? No. <laughs> I'm just looking at the Hebrew here. Abundance. Abundance. That's a lot better, isn't it? Um, there's a textual note here. So I'm not going to get into the, the the guts of this, as it were. Um but uh, could be a spacious place, and a, um, so it could be um, abundance, or it could be like actual vastness of space. So you've brought us out to a spacious place, right? That's one sort of reading that you could have. Yeah, that's it. Works a lot better. It works a lot better with the words of Jesus later too, where he says, "I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly." The word "abundant" is a lot more powerful than wealthy. Yeah. Um, well, but abundance and wealth and even blessing are, yeah, they're, they're inseparable, right? I mean, as, as concepts, right? They're, um, wealth is about receiving divine favor. So one has wealth, one has been, you know, favored by God. Um, 
And in some contexts, presumably because, you know, they've done so well for themselves. That's why discussions later will talk about, well, how can someone actually inherit and be able to inherit if wealth is a mark of one's, you know, of, of being favorable um, in God's eyes? Hmm. So that's always true in the Hebrew scriptures that wealth is a sign of the favor of God. Well, I mean, there are points at which prophets will critique the abuse of wealth. Yeah. Certainly there's a tension. There's a tension between the idea that wealth is a mark of divine favor um, and the idea that, um, you know, one may not necessarily be deserving of their wealth. The same tension exists also with respect to tragedy, right? That when tragedy strikes, and this is what Job is about, really. Well, like when tragedy strikes, do they deserve it? Thanks again for listening. And thank you, Professors Weintraub and Wyman, for being part of our 50th episode this week. Remember to follow us on Twitter, at BibleYale, and check out our website for more resources. That's YaleBibleStudy.org. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddart, and I'm your host and executive producer, Helena Martin. Our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from Chapter, Verse, and season.